Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian, with me as always is Chris. And uh, Chris, we're coming off quite an emotional roller coaster of a week. <laughs> um, the last time we, we sure spo- are. <laughs> the last time we spoke, the Mets were in the middle of a winning streak. They took the first two games from Washington in dramatic and glorious fashion. You were at Saturday's game. I am infinitely jealous of that. Um, then they lost the series finale to the Nationals on kind of a weird game. And then they lost the first two against the Braves, despite attempting comebacks in both games. And then tonight they finally beat the Braves in dramatic fashion, only because the bullpen almost blew the game for them. Um, it's been a week. How you feeling overall about the state of the Mets? Well, tonight sort of resuscitated it, I guess. I'm still trying to wrap my head around Saturday night uh, and Friday night. I wasn't there on Friday night, but I was watching. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around those two games, being part of the same team, part of the same season as everything else that we've seen. Uh Thank goodness they got the win tonight in Atlanta, uh, a game that was a blowout until the very end when it wasn't. But <laughs> yeah, it the those two games really capped that uh, ridiculous run, and uh, they they felt out of place in a good way. But they, it was just you know what is happening, what's going on. Uh, some of the most fun you could have at a regular season game uh, and, and definitely some of the best crowds City Field has ever had regular season or postseason. Uh, and then a few days later, even with the win tonight, it, it feels like, okay, yep, those are the 2019 Mets. <laughs> that's, that's the team I thought they were. That's the team uh, that I kind of expect them to be. Uh, th- there wasn't really any magic to it. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, what I think is is very interesting about this team is, and this is true of every team sometimes, but I feel like it's true of the Mets almost every week. They're never as bad as they look when they're good, uh, when, when they're bad, rather, and they're never as good as they look when they're good. Like, this team is 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 a close to 500 team, but when they're rolling, they seem like they're the best team in baseball. And when yeah. they are losing, they look like the worst team in baseball. And you kind of have to have them fall somewhere in the middle. But I, I do think that you, you can't be totally down on the series with the Braves and the last game of the series with the Nats. I really believe if there wasn't that three-run error in the first inning against the Nats on Sunday, the Mets had every chance to win that game. And so you never like to see your team make errors, but when your team loses, it's nice to be able to point to a specific reason why they lost and not just general poor performance. And, you know, so I'm not saying that they would have definitely won the game or anything like that, but I think you have to somewhat discount Sunday's game a little bit. I also think that it's almost more important at this point for the Mets to show that they're going to keep fighting and coming back than it is that they come back and win every game. 
And the fact that last night there was such a strong attempt at a comeback, it didn't it didn't work out, but the Mets did not give up. You know, I, I think it bodes well for the season as a whole to have the Mets be that um be that resilient and, and to not give up even when the game looks absolutely out of hand. Um and so I think that, you know, they went essentially three and three against their division rivals. That's good. You'd hope for more, but you know, you, you take what you can get at this point. And I think that more or less I'm okay with where the team is right now. They'll be two and a half, I think, out of the wild card at the end of the night. Something like that. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's starting to get confusing because uh, there are so many the teams Cardinals so close. and Cubs. Yeah, right. And the and the Cardinals and Cubs are legitimately very close for the division lead in the Central. So that adds another layer to it. So with the Cubs getting walked off by the Phillies tonight, uh, that leaves them in the wild card spot they were in this morning. And, uh, you know, the Mets get to pick up a game on them. So that's nice. Uh, the, the Cardinals also lost. So if it turns out that they end up back in that spot, the Mets picked up a game on them too. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's nice to be in a spot where uh, the Cubs and Phillies are playing each other. Uh, any Any other two wild card teams playing each other, obviously, is helpful at this point. But yeah, right now they're two games out of the second wild card, uh, one behind the Phillies and Brewers, and another one behind the Cubs. Uh, but yeah, I, I, what I will say is that coming into this series finale tonight, uh, and then all your points about the Sunday game and, and the, this series are totally valid. But coming into this game tonight, I had sort of an approach of like, okay, if they if they lose this game, I'm going back to not <laughs> acting like they're a playoff hopes. Sure. And they didn't. They they managed to uh, <laughs> it it's it's one of those things that's weird. You you hope they learn a lesson from it that Drew Gagno is not the answer. <laughs> um it's amazing you would think he's learned that lesson. <laughs> he would think that yeah, lesson would have been would, learned some time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You would think that his, uh, I think his ERA was over seven before tonight, and it certainly went up. <laughs> but you, you hope they learn lessons from it. Uh, but this was a blowout. Ultimately, the Braves, uh, I haven't looked at it yet, but if you look at the WPA graph uh, or the the win probability graph, sorry. Uh, there's never a point past the second or third inning that the Braves had any actual chance to win it. So, yeah, they 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 go and do that. I don't know. You just, you're at a point where you don't want to see the games back increase. Right. Uh, e- even if they're still in the same spot in terms of where they rank among the wildcard teams... Uh, you, you just don't want them to slip back to four, five, six games out because then it really starts to get complicated. Uh, so stay within uh, ideally two, which is where they're at at this moment. But 
maybe two and a half or three, but I, you can't end up farther back than that. Uh, so, yeah. I was thinking about this today, and this is certainly faulty logic, but I, I'm interested to see your take on it. Is it more important right now that the Mets do well against the Nationals than it is against the Braves? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I was trying to I was trying to think it through in my head. And obviously, you want the Mets to be good against everybody, right? You never want to you don't want to choose that they that they lose against against anyone cuz that's not that's not helpful. But if they had to take 2 of 3 from one of these teams, you want to take it from the team that you're directly chasing. So, I feel somewhat better about that fact i would rather they obviously have not taken have not lost either the series but if they had to lose a series i guess it's better for them to lose to the braves than the nationals so yeah i'll take some comfort in that as well i don't know i'm I'm, I'm looking for something here man (laughs) no no i get it and i would say that coming into this the long shot hopes of the division being in play were shattered as soon as they lost the first game. They would have had to have swept the Braves uh, to cut their deficit down to five games, and then you can start maybe thinking about the East. This series definitely established that the Mets are playing for a wild card spot, and the Nationals probably are too. I don't think, I mean, we've been on the wrong side of this. Anything can happen. the Braves aren't guaranteed to win the division, but they're extremely likely to do it. And I don't know, in a way that's kind of, I would have preferred the opposite. Of course, I would have preferred to win the series or, or to have the Mets sweep it, but we know what we're in for. We know the deal. Yes. We're not dreaming on an even better thing. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. There's some comfort in that. I think. Yeah, I think it's good to know exactly what you're trying to do and them knowing, all right, our goal is the wild card. If we get close in the division, we can re- we can reestablish this, we can we can reconsider everything, but we know we know what we're really fighting for here. And I think that is very important to know. So, I think you're right about that. Um I do want to talk about how the bullpen is just an utter disaster still. <laughs> well, it's funny. There have been sort of different takes on uh, on the bullpen in, in the second half. Uh, obviously, Maggie wrote about it on the site and sort of the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Uh, it it's weird. But overall it's still a, regardless of what the stats are in the second half it's still a concern yeah because as we've pointed out for well, we're getting close to a year uh they they needed to add more in the bullpen and justin wilson has been really great lately uh, aside from his disastrous outing in the second game of the series in atlanta seth lugo has been great but going back to Ganyo tonight, this is a guy who they called up, and I don't know. I don't know how how much you need to see before you say, you know what? 
at least for right now, this guy isn't somebody who needs to, who should be in a bullpen of a team that's trying to get into a playoff uh, position. Yeah, I mean that's that's the nicest way you can say it. I think, um, you know, Seth Lugo had a disastrous game last night, but you don't worry about one performance from somebody. You know, the fact that Diaz came into the game tonight, walked the first batter on four pitches, is is frustrating. Um, I don't know what they have to do to get Diaz right. I don't know if there's a way at this point in the season to even get Diaz right, or if you're just basically waiting till next year. Like, what would you do with Diaz at this point? Man, that's a tough question. I, I'm probably not on board with the, I'd say, seemingly growing movement to <laughs> option him to Syracuse. Oh no, I mean, yeah. yeah. Players with longer track records have had that happen. Uh, they get into a funk. We know this guy is better than this. Let him go down and face. A lower level of competition, get right, come back. I don't know. I so I don't want to dismiss it entirely as a concept because it occasionally happens. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just I'd leave him on the major league roster and just sort of reset and go with the lowest leverage situations you can and build him back up to kind of pitcher that he has been in his major league career until this year uh we've seen the starters sort of figure it out recently um in total the rotation's still been excellent in the second half we know Syndergaard has adjusted after struggling to adjust early in the year um DeGrom has been his amazing self for uh for quite a while now so i I don't know in in a way it's almost like and i I am not suggesting they actually do this but starters have so many more pitches to figure things out right we we focus so much on small sample size and rightfully so uh, but when you're conscious of what can happen in a short period of time you can, uh, I guess, maybe have this perspective. But I'm I'm stretching here to try to find a, <laughs> a way to say it. But Edwin Diaz only pitches in a in a in an ideal week, three or four innings. Right. Uh, maybe five. But on on your average week, you're thinking he's going to pitch three or four innings, and. When you're out there in a, in a game situation, I don't know if this is me going back to like college improv coach advice, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I thought it was think. good advice. Basically, the the best practice you can have is to go perform in front of a an audience, and we we know even though the league won't admit it, we know the baseball is different. Uh, we know it's affected significantly how it travels, how pitchers can throw it. Um, There's just some sort of 
there has to be a difference in relievers adjusting when they don't get to pitch in these situations nearly as much as starters. So in some like video game fantasy world, uh, I guess you, you'd send him down to AAA and have him start and not start in the way that uh, DeGrom and Syndergaard and Stroman and Wheeler and, and Matt's do, but you, you'd have him work as much as he can in a healthy way not not trying to risk injury, but just let's get you to throw, you know, one inning, one and a third, one and two thirds, two innings. Not trying to actually build him up to be a starter, but uh, just to give him time to work the kinks out. Right, just keep getting reps because there's nothing like a bullpen isn't going to test you. A bullpen session, I mean, uh, throwing a bullpen isn't going to test you at all in the same way that facing an actual hitter is. So yeah, that, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a matter of time or it's a matter of making a drastic decision to stop throwing a pitch or start throwing a pitch, you know, things that are not typically done uh, in season for a reliever who isn't working with five or six pitches uh, like some starters might, you know. Right. So that's uh, that's all very roundabout. I, I guess the answer is I don't know, but my larger point is with enough time, assuming the baseball remains the same, I think his talent can overcome the challenges he's had this year. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a lost cause, like in the in the grand scheme of things or over the course of his career at all. I do think something's very wrong this season, and I don't know what it's going to take to get him to be to be in a place where it doesn't feel like he is just... I mean, every time you see him out there, he just seems so uncomfortable. He seems just so lost out there at times. And, I, I you know, I don't know if I would option him to Syracuse for a number of reasons. First of all, it's like the the perception of the guy you traded for this offseason you're sending down is a bad look for a team that is just full of bad looks, right? So I understand, like, from a PR perspective, even though that should be the least of their concerns, I understand why that is somewhat of their concern. Um, but I think just the bigger one is that if Diaz goes down today, who is going to be getting Diaz's innings? Because I don't, while I admit that Diaz is a mess, I don't know who's not a mess in the bullpen to take those innings. And Diaz has the natural talent and the track record that you believe that he's going to put it together one of these outings. I don't have that same confidence with Drew Gagno, Chris Mazza, um, you know, insert Mets reliever here. I don't have that confidence. So I don't know if I would be so quick to give up somebody who I am, who I'm more certain will put it together than almost anybody else in the, in the bullpen. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, and I was thinking along those lines too. Um, <laughs> what is the answer? 
Yeah, we're at a spot where Lugo and Wilson are the two guys who you trust right now, right? And is there anybody else? Not really. I mean, hypothetically, I would trust Familia, but not in reality at this yeah. point. Yeah, right. I mean, it helps that Familia looked so incredibly sharp on what Sunday was it Sunday or was it during this series? He had, he had one outing that was just like, I damn, think it, I remember yeah. that guy. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know when it was, but yeah, it was some point in the last week. It helps. Yeah, yeah, and Avalon has been a lot better lately. I think Gazelman, we know that he is who he is. Um. Brad Brock has been somewhat encouraging. We, we know he has a long track record of success in the majors. Uh, really hadn't been in that place for most of this season, but we know he's he's had that. So I guess I'm more comfortable with the overall bullpen right now than I was a few weeks or a few months ago when we were still cycling through uh, Jacob Rame and Daniel Zamora and... Ganyo and I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, we all know the list. Uh, Unfortunately, we do. But yeah, I, if if you send Diaz down for any period of time to try to get right, then you're looking at a very, very heavy leaning on Lugo and Wilson and Familia having to just be that guy, that guy who he's capable of being, who we all have seen him be. Um, I think a lot of Mets fans kind of forget that he actually was really, really good uh, for quite a while uh, before this happened. So, yeah, they're in a better position to be able to do that sort of thing right now than they were a month or two ago. But it's still not great. Still not ideal. No, it's not. Um, so let's do this. Let's look at the Mets schedule going forward. I'm pulling it up right now. We know they have a uh, they have a series coming up this weekend with the Kansas City Royals, which should be a nice, easy weekend for the Mets. I, I say that crossing every finger I have and knocking on wood and all of that. After that, they go to the, face the Indians, which won't necessarily be easy. Then the Braves are back again. Then the Cubs, then the Phillies. That's that's a pretty rough rest of the month after the Royals this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all beatable teams. That's fine. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's something that has been focused on so much was that they were beating up on bad teams like that was a bad thing. Right. Uh, but it it is a little more challenging. They have some very important games. I, I'm hoping that they're uh, in a good enough spot that I want to go to Philadelphia <laughs> on Labor Day weekend and, yeah. and see those games. Um, as a side note, I would like to repeat my feat of exclusively eating cheesesteaks while I'm in Philadelphia, which was what happened the last time I was there. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I mean it. I, 
I literally exclusively ate cheesesteak uh, on a like 20 hour it was one night but how on, many, how the entire time I was in Philly did that encompass uh four wow yeah or maybe three and a half. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> three and a half or four is essentially four. And there was like the arrival cheesesteak. The oh wait, oh man, this is this is gross. I think <laughs> can't Did stop I... now. <sighs> yeah, no. Well, well, to me, when you're leaving Philadelphia, um, and this is something that happened uh, for the first time. My cousin, the Twins fan, basically a character on the show at this point, uh, <laughs> his sister was going to school in Philly and we were going to school here in the Bronx. And uh, the two of us and another friend of ours took a Chinatown bus down to Philly to go spend a weekend or whatever and just you drink way too much and just be ridiculous and have a have a good time. Um, and we on our way out went and got Pat's cheesesteaks and I know there are cheesesteak snobs who say that ranks like 20th on the list of all the places I don't care I enjoy Pat's <laughs> but we, we went and we got Pat's cheesesteaks to take on the Chinatown bus on our like second hangover morning ride back to New York and ever since then I've been of the opinion that when you're leaving Philadelphia you get a cheesesteak for the for the road for the road yeah it's just what you do uh so yeah i would love to still be inspired enough to to go down there and deal with the wonderful sports fans of philadelphia uh eat some cheesesteak wear a mets hat get yelled at all that fun stuff so in that sense it's kind of exciting uh and like we were talking about a few minutes ago, and none of these teams in the NL East are going to go catch the Braves, at least not right now. So this is kind of a three-way battle for one or two wildcard spots, depending on what the teams from the other two divisions do. So I welcome it. The Indians series kind of scares me a little bit because they've been hot, and I think that is a kind of team that might be able to overmatch the Mets. Yeah. The good news uh, Jose is that- Ramirez... The, the good news is that they're at home for that series, though. So you have That's one, true. You have one less dangerous Indian bat in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. September looks slightly more forgiving. Phillies, Diamondbacks, Dodgers will be tough. Rockies, Reds, Marlins, Braves. So... We shall see. We shall see how it all shakes out. Uh, Speaking of things that we're going to see about that I didn't think we'd even be talking about, uh, came out this week that uh, both Jed Lowry and Brendan Nimmo are somewhat on the way back. Uh, Lowry was facing live pitching for the first time maybe in his lifetime. I'm not really sure. It's been so long. It's hard to tell when exactly it happened last and Nimmo is returning from his neck or at least is beginning the return from his neck woes and uh obviously with Cano being out more than likely for the rest of the season or at least the bulk of September 
it you know Lowry would be a a and, and now with McNeil on the IL for ten days, it seems like it would certainly be a good thing to have Lowry in there. I don't know how his bat's going to be after sitting around for the better part of a year, um, but having another in another quality infielder is not going to be a bad thing, especially when the rosters expand in September. You know they're not expanding to the same degree, but they'll be able to add him to the roster without necessarily dropping anybody. And Brandon Nimmo is a welcome addition because he's a center fielder. Well, he's kind of a center fielder who can kind of hit, as opposed to Juan Lagares, who is definitely a center fielder who can't really hit. Although he's looked good the last couple games. Lagares looked all right. Yeah, um, Lagares is picking a, a, a good time to have his best <laughs> level of play. Yes, agreed. Of this season. Uh, but, yeah, Lowry, I mean, all things considered – it would be thrilling. I think we probably two months ago set the over under on games. He would play as a Met ever at 0.5. Yeah. (laughs) And I was taking the under on that one. Uh, So yeah, it it would definitely be nice to go. Okay. We're in a spot where, and I, and I love Luis Guillaume, uh, but to be in a start, you could say, Amazing home run. We have we have to mention his home run on Saturday. Just, mwah. oh yeah, a thing of beauty. Oh, that that was that was phenomenal. Um, but at least it puts it in a spot where you could say, all right, he's going to go down to Syracuse. Um, I mean, I don't know if Lowry would even be ready at that point. Maybe rosters have expanded, so you're not talking about sending anybody down. But say it's September third or fifth or whatever that Lowry is ready. Uh, and he comes back, all of a sudden, he can play every day. Hopefully McNeil is back. But even, even if he's not, Lowry can be your second baseman. Joe Panic can be really a, a backup and not somebody you have to play every day. Guillaume can be that defensive replacement, which he's still best suited for, um, despite the awesome dramatic home run uh, on Saturday night to tie things up. So it would be nice to be able to push that down a little bit. You you could even, uh, Lowry could get a couple starts at third if you felt like there was a matchup that wasn't great for Frazier. Um, I'd prefer that McNeil would be back for that. You know, I wouldn't really, I don't want Panic to play over a potentially healthy Lowry or over Frazier, but it gives you some options. And, uh, and Nimmo, man, I mean, I think... We can at least speculate that some of his struggles this year earlier uh, may have been due to what was going on with his neck. So, yeah, I I didn't think they would get any kind of injury uh, reinforcements, but it's nice to think that they could and that they could get two guys who could be really positive contributors. Um Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, how worried are you about McNeil's hamstring injury? So, I mean, I saw today that he took part in some some kind of, not maybe not full speed running, but some kind of physical activity with the team. Uh, but, man, a leg injury with a Met in a situation where you're going to be desperate to get him back to compete. Uh, I'm just, he, uh, I think he's earned 
the benefit of the doubt. So it's not it's not saying anything against him, but you get into this kind of situation. And I just expect the Mets to play him sooner than they should, and for the injury to get worse than it was when he went on the IL. To their credit, they didn't do their usual nonsense. Uh, something we saw a lot of, and, and I'm trying to think with the injuries earlier this year. I don't know if I want to make a blanket statement and say this, but in this case. They put him on the injured list right away. Yes. They, there wasn't any wait a day or two, see how it feels. It, it was what you want to see a team do. Uh, and then what the Mets so often haven't done over the last few years. It, you saw the look on his face. Um, I think I made this point in pizza, but it was it was a different look. McNeil gets angry when he doesn't get a hit, when he, when, you know, if he makes an out. And the look on his face wasn't that. It was something different. And you saw how his teammates reacted. Yep. You, you saw how he reacted. It, this was clearly an injury, and he was on the injured list and getting an MRI. Um, in the city they were in, which this isn't a Mets-specific thing. I've never really understood why you had to fly players home to get an MRI because right. you can share the results with your team doctor instantly because the internet exists but <laughs> but he was on the injured list and getting an mri um quickly and hey uh, it, that shouldn't sound like an accomplishment but for the mets it kind of is <laughs> yep but at the same time i still expect that uh in five or six days they might put him in a game no matter what and rush him back and risk the last few weeks of the season. I'd much rather live with Joe Panic every day second baseman for another week uh, if it meant you can guarantee that McNeil would be ready down the stretch. So I hope I hope everything goes smoothly. I hope uh, he comes back to the Mets. It's not too soon. All of these concerns look silly, but I worry. My one deviation from what you said, and I, I ultimately I agree with everything you said. I just worry that without McNeil, the Mets are not a wild card team. And so the longer you hold him off to come back, the more you are eliminating your playoff chances. Yeah. You know, I, I get that. It's nice that Rosario has maintained this really, really good level of, of play. Um, and the defense has been much closer to what we expected. Uh, the offense has been significantly improved. Mm -hmm. So that's all been encouraging and, and all that. But McNeil and, and Pete Alonso have been absolutely among the best hitters in baseball this year um that's significant that that's a very hard guy to replace so you can you can have somebody fill in and do nice in that leadoff role but at the same time you still have a difference of one of the top 10 hitters in baseball and joe panic right who may be fine for the team but is not going to be mcneil for the team Oh, yeah, no, no, definitely not. Even at his best, 
he's not McNeil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm very glad that they put him on the IL right away. Uh, like you said, his face when he pulled up lame was... You, you saw something that was, was really wrong with him. And uh, I had the unfortunate uh, duty to recap that game for Amazing Avenue. So as I was watching it, you know, you're hoping they pull off a comeback. You don't think it's going to happen, but you're hoping and praying, and then that happens, and you realize, oh, this game doesn't matter. We might have just lost the season right there. And so I was I was quite concerned about him. But, you know, he appears to be, like you said, you know, he's doing some drills today. He looks like he's, you know, not, that it's not a serious strain from what, the MRI revealed. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll be back in 10 days. If the Mets go on a tear and are comfortably in a playoff position or a game, half a game out in 10 or 15 days, then maybe you do give him a little bit of extra time because it can't hurt to, uh, it can't hurt to make sure he is really ready to go. Uh, but like I said, I just I fear that that Mc, that the McNeil of impact on the team is such that you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to wait longer than you have to to bring him back. Um, but yeah, we're all in agreement here. So Chris, anything else to discuss before we get to our music picks? Um. Mickey Calloway's comments about leaving Stephen Matz, sorry, about taking Stephen Matz out of the game, uh, that he'd do it 100 times out of 100, and then following up with comments before tonight's game about only listening to analytics uh, 15% of the time. He said he didn't listen to them 85% of the time. At what point does the guy just stop talking? Uh... <laughs> He, I mean, he's not going to. Yeah, but at what point it, does somebody never, realize? Yeah. <laughs> just like, dude, nobody noticed you were there when things were going well. Right. Try to maintain that image. Like, that's the best advice I can give him is that it, you were basically invisible for the 15 and one stretch. And I know it's easy to be that way when you're starting pitching. He's giving you what you're what what it was giving. Um, the offense was hitting either hitting well early in games or, or coming up with every timely hit late in games. Uh, things like the Guillaume pinch hit home run were happening. It, that's all fantastic, but uh, learn a lesson from it, man. It, like just because you went 16 games, or if you, you can even take it out to a little bit more. Um, 19 games. It went 16 and three. Uh, you didn't have to talk much, but that doesn't mean that when things go wrong, you have to come up with bullshit explanations for things. Uh, so yeah, that that that's my only other rant is that Mickey Calloway is still Mickey Calloway. Um, yep. Unfortunately, you are right. But yeah, that's it. That was the only other thing I wanted to get off my chest. So then what is your music pick for this week, Chris? Uh, I've, coming into it, I'm like, oh, I feel like I had a really good one uh, specifically for this segment. 
and then I <laughs> and then I kind of forgot it. Um, so do you want me to go first? You can. Uh... Yeah, you go first because I'm just going to take a quick look in Spotify and see if the thing that I'm thinking of is is there somewhere. Okay. Um, well, mine's going to be a bummer. I'm warning you guys. Uh, last week we lost David Berman, singer songwriter of the Silver Jews, and uh, recently put out a record under the name Purple Mountains. Um, Berman is one of the best lyricists in the history of rock and roll, popular music, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just incredibly eloquent and uh, funny and sad and direct and no bullshit. Uh, a lot of people, I think, slept on the Silver Jews because there's a lot of press about them being sort of an offshoot of pavement, which is both true and not true. Uh, Silver Jews initially had Stephen Malkmus and uh, Bob Nastanovich from Pavement in it, but it actually predated Pavement in some ways, and it was always Berman's thing. And Malkmus was, you know, a contributor, but not like a, a co-songwriter or anything. It was Berman's band. And David Berman struggled with addiction, with depression, and uh, he took his own life last week on the eve of a tour. I mean, he's he was supposed to be playing in Jersey... Jersey City, like in two weeks or something, he was he was about to leave for tour. Just released this album in July, an album that's been pretty much universally praised in reviews before his death, and uh, it's just so sad. Yeah, depression is is a very very real thing, and I I feel like such a, a tool for having to say this, but like you know anyone who's listening, who's you know feeling suicidal, feeling depressed, please reach out for help, please try to get the help that you do deserve whether you think you deserve it or not you do deserve it and uh you know do what you can to take care of yourself and those around you because depression is a truly terrible thing so my pick is the self-titled purple mountains record it came out last year it's 10 songs they're all really really beautiful really sad really funny songs um just just a tragic loss way too young and uh you know Hug those you love, and uh, I'm going to stop saying platitudes now. So, Purple Mountains by Purple Mountains. Chris, follow, there up, you that go. De- follow up that depressing rant. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine was actually supposed to uh, be taking photos at, uh, at, the, at his show. Oh really? Uh, I, I think it was actually it might have been sp- like scheduled for this weekend, if not this weekend, the next. But yeah, no, it was. Uh, admittedly, I I haven't been that familiar. Um, I've been aware of the existence of of Silver Jews. Um, I know I've probably heard a couple. There more than a couple of the songs at some point, uh, but not something I was an expert on, and still kind of jarring uh you know when you see a bunch of other artists that you like commenting on it in a way that you can tell it hit them really hard um and and sort of raises your awareness of uh, not only that side of things um but just what what that music meant to a bunch of other people who make music that that I love, you know, it, right. it's so. And it, it's such yeah. a shame because I feel like, yes, there was a lot of press around his new album, but not 
that much pressure on his new album, and you you wish that the the amount of Spotify streams he's getting this week, you wish you could have gotten that two weeks ago. You know that there's something there's something else could have brought him into the public discourse, gotten new listeners to check him out instead of it being his death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I will I will shift gears and uh, i guess the only way i know how um by the time you are listening to this podcast king gizzard and the lizard wizard will have put out another new album uh, which is a thing i've said several times on this show (laughs) this one is i'm gonna just say i haven't heard all of it yet but i will i will do the blind recommendation because these guys are just so much fun um we're going to be seeing him a couple times uh, in like a week and a half. This record is like they they sound like they tried to make a Slayer record. And okay. <laughs> <it> when <laughs> when you've done when you've made as much music as they have and you've already established this wide uh, variety of, of styles of albums that they make. Um, you can do this sort of thing. So I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what it sounds like start to finish. Uh, and I know from previous records of theirs that uh, if you hear one or two or three songs, that doesn't necessarily indicate how all of them are going to sound. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go with that. I look forward to listening to it in the morning um, or, or perhaps even before going to bed if I don't want to sleep tonight. <laughs> what is the name uh, of the record? Uh, I think it's Into the Rat's Nest. That's sort of a vital piece of information for the segment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it definitely Rat's Nest is part of it. Uh, I think it's Into the Rat's Nest, though. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard have just released their own video game. How did I miss that? Seriously. They have a video game for a song called Mars for the Rich. Uh, sorry, not Into. It's Infest the Rat's Nest. Got it. I'm slipping. I'm slipping. I should have had that memorized. <laughs> I only have the other 14 album names memorized <laughs> at this point. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'll I'll give a blind wreck to that. Um, before next week, I will come back to... Uh, I had a record that I'm like damn this is perfect this is perfect for the show and um it's slipping my mind as we're recording it so that's okay we forgive you we have lots more music recs to get to before the end of the year so you know you can just slide it in in the future yes anyway thank you guys for listening as always uh we are a day late with the show this week we did that because of the rain delay last night we wanted to be able to talk about as many games as possible and with the off day Monday it made it tricky to just talk about basically four games so this way we talked about all six games that happened since we last podcasted so that's good um, you can find us writing about the Mets in all sorts of ways at AmazingAvenue.com you can also find the amazing podcasts of Amazing Avenue there um, we have Unformidable from Complex to Queens a pot of their own we haven't done a, an Amazing Avenue in conversation in a little while, but we have one coming up soon from the ladies of a pot of their own. So that is, that's a fun thing to look out for. Um, 
You can also find the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. You can find me at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, I know this is going to be delivered with less confidence than I said it last week, but let's fucking go, Mets. Thank you.